0: These values of getting what you pay for and making sure people, people feel that way, the, the pride you take in getting a referral from someone because you did give them that quality of service, it goes forward with you. And someone uh, Facebooks or texts or emails or whatever big spruce about a worry or concern they have about our better beer, and luckily that happens very infrequently. You stop even worrying about the four pallets of beer that need to go out to the NSLC and you deal with this one little person because their emotional attachment to your brand is at risk in that moment. And you have, you have every ability to fix the problem in a very short order. And in fact, endear them even more deeply to your brand if you do. So so it's, it's kind of that value system is, is everywhere. And we both struggle and also proudly strive to instill that into our staff. And uh, yeah, that's just what we're always, always going to stand for.
1: Welcome. Hey, leaders. I'm super excited to be bringing this next guest to you, Jeremy White of Big Spring Brewery. He uh, has had an amazing career, international travel, international business, built a $400 million water plant in Nicaragua, and then got into the craft brewing industry. Right now, his craft, his brewery is number four, number five in the Nova Scotia market, has won all sorts of prizes, and I just think you're gonna learn a lot and see a lot about his values, his commitment to quality, his commitment to customers that actually showed up early on in his business with Student Works and continues to this day. I know you're gonna love this podcast. Here's Jeremy, thank you. Welcome, Jeremy, Uh, really excited to have you here. Jeremy White, and it's been a long time, so it's a real opportunity. uh, to really reconnect with you over the years. And, and I know you had a, had a really very successful run with us at, at Student Works. And why don't you just sort of uh, share with me,
0: what were you like before our program, thinking back? Oh, gosh. That's a long time ago, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're old men now. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, undeniably, before student works, you know the word kind of raw and inexperienced comes to mind. I think, I think uh, what I've learned to understand, and and we're really learning this now in our current business is there are certain people out there that have motivation, and I think I probably had that, but I had none of the kind of honing of that motivation and um, addition of skills that were sort of needed to make you know motivation about running things and uh, being successful and probably carving a space in this world for me and my own business. I didn't have everything I needed and there's no doubt like running my own franchise for I think it was six years yeah. um, actually, you know, really formed a good foundation of that for me going forward.
1: And um, can you think about what was your biggest frustration
0: as a teenager before you got into working at StudentWorks? Tough questions, Chris. <laughs> I mean, there's of course the fact that I wasn't hired as a manager the first time I <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess,
1: I guess we, we still make mistakes. So yeah. <laughs> Can you think about that?
0: No, but I, I, guess it was, uh, you know, I look back and, um, you know, I look back at that era and even, you know, decisions to go to university, they were such uninformed decisions. You know, there was very, there was no Internet, there was very little um, sharing of knowledge. I was you know, I, I wasn't really from a family that had had a lot of people go to university and, and sort of progress through education the way I wanted to. And I didn't know what to expect. I remember showing up at university and you know sort of being called into the, the, the dean's office to talk about the choice of a major, and I was, I was literally like, "What's a major?" You know I, I, There was sort of like this end of high school, right. All my friends were going to university, so I did too. Kind of attitude to me, right? You know, I think my frustration was just like I was. I look back at just sort of my lack of knowledge and my frustrations to do with needing to figure it all out to myself, and I wish there had been more of a blueprint, you know.
1: Sure. And so, what do you still rely on from the things you learned uh, in, in the in the program, Jeremy?
0: Work ethic. I think terrier like mentality. To sort of not let anything go until, until it's well shaken and uh, <laughs> properly sussed out. I can remember the diligence that sort of you uh, put us through and lear- made us learn about keeping a diary, sticking to the tasks at hand, dealing with clients, and giving us the sort of uh, tools we need- needed to become. Uh, great relationship managers. And to, uh, to your point you just made, you know, be able to make mistakes, but be committed to correcting them and making good on your promise to paint someone's house to, to their satisfaction, regardless of what it takes. There were all sorts of uh, levels of challenge in executing that. There were the easy houses where people we um, were very okay with kind of entrusting you to everything and off you'd go. And then there were much harder clients that were very, very hard to satisfy and uh, required extra time and effort. And it all, it all equaled an incredible pile of work, you know, buying, buying supplies on a daily basis, moving at times four or five crews around uh, every week, and dealing with the clients as well, you know, it was sort of a sun up until, until well after sundown job, almost seven days a week. But, you know, it, it made money and it uh, taught a lot and it was a, an exciting time and there was great interaction among other managers and the crews I ran. So it was a positive, positive time. And I still speak about it all the time as sort of what formed that foundation for me.
1: That's cool. And one of the neat things I was saying before our podcast here is, is I know we've reconnected, but really, there's a big window that I really wasn't really aware. I know you went south. I know you did some yeah. Neat things. Yeah. So post student works. You know, what did you do? Why don't you Why don't you walk me through?
0: I think from memory, and I'd have to look back at the dates, but I think I did one more summer of student works after graduating university. Um. For a very brief moment thereafter, I took a job uh, in the Toronto West office of London Life uh, selling insurance and financial products and I mean, literally realized six or seven weeks into that, (laughs) (laughs) that it just, you know, it wasn't, wasn't my gig. I was good at producing leads and, and sales on sort of a fraction of the, of the calls that they wanted you making on a daily basis, cold calls to, to people that, that, you know, they wanted to get the word out to that you were in the business. And, right. um, sort of, I, I had this different approach, which was, you know, focus on leads that I knew could be real with people that would have needs and not bother the ones I knew wouldn't. Right. And that didn't bode very well for, you know, my senior managers and that sort of thing. And, and I just, I didn't want to do it any other way. So, I left that and really didn't know what I was going to do, um, had an opportunity to visit Costa Rica with a friend for a week and uh, met a lot of great people, uh, expats doing business down in Costa Rica, really fell in love with the, the country, patched a plan, therefore, to uh, partner with some folks down there in the opening of a, of a franchise, again, using my sort of running a franchise experience. To open a franchise of a little coffee roastery, uh, coffee shop. Right. And I moved down there in November of 96 permanently to take that on. Now, for, as fortune would, would sort of work itself out, as I was very close to, you know, renting a location and, and uh, beginning my attempt at that, and this, is, this was probably good fortune. I received an offer um, or an inquiry initially as to whether I'd be be sort of interested in uh, running a sales and business development office for a a big British construction and engineering firm called Bywater International. They were looking to get more firmly into the Central America and Caribbean area, um, and they wanted someone sort of comfortable with jumping on airplanes and uh, speaking the language and that sort of thing. So you know, it was. Um, I suppose I was at a time where I was low on money and uh, exhausting all sorts of resources in a foreign, foreign land. You know, personal capital in a foreign land to uh, to try and start something, right? And I took the quote unquote, I guess, slightly easier road of you know a stable salary and um, some stability uh, in general to do do the opportunity with Bywater. Um, that then led to like. 13 years with them, right? and I, I went all over the place. I started their regional office in Costa Rica. I moved to uh, big job initiatives that they were involved in, in uh, Dominican Republic, uh, Mexico. I then moved up to their uh, regional head office for, for all of Latin America in uh, Hollywood, Florida, just outside of Miami. And uh, finally, down to running a a large job for them. I I transferred from sales and business development to actual uh, project execution. And I became project director of the Managua sewage treatment site in Managua, Nicaragua, where we built a $45 million sewage treatment plant. And I had uh, four or five hundred people working for me at uh, these times. And yeah, that was a big four and a half year Jeremy's personal Sistine Chapel. And it, it's still a really, a really successful plant. Uh, the original uh, team I put in place during initial operations are still running it. Uh, wow. It's still a profitable operation for Biowater. So something to be pretty proud of. Um, and sort of congruent to all of this, of course, this was my personal uh, life got a million times better. Uh, back while I was in Costa Rica, I had met uh, my now wife, uh, Melanie. She was a Canadian from Vancouver studying Spanish, lo and behold, at the same uh, uh, intensive Spanish school that I had studied at when I first started my time in Costa Rica. Right. Uh, kind of two uh, homestay Costa Rican families that were related uh, had introduced us. And um, so she, she followed uh, and joined me around uh, this sort of 13-year whirlwind around Latin America. Right. Uh, and uh, to kind of update us, update you, uh, around in 2008, we finally sort of formally had a, a, a Canadian wedding and honeymoon, Right. which was really just a, you know, putting the rubber now, stand yeah. already there, yeah. And we were kind of getting close to going, you know, the job in Nicaragua was, was progressing well and we were almost, almost finished. And almost finished in construction terms is still, you know, a year or two away. <laughs> Right. But uh, we decided to come back to a honeymoon in East Coast Canada because we, were, we knew we were getting close to wanting to come back to Canada. Okay. And we felt that the cost of living had sort of passed us by in uh, Ontario and BC, where we were from. And uh, we'd heard great things about Eastern Canada. So we, we came to Cape Breton on a honeymoon in August of 2008. Just... Absolutely loved the the people, the culture, the the environments, you know, the the vistas, the things to do here, and decided that, you know, we should keep an eye on real estate listings as a result. And four months later, uh, the farm we sit on with our our two breweries right now came up for sale. An old guy had died, no will, no heirs in the province, and the provincial trustee was trying to sort of get rid of it to to pay a small uh, tax debt. To the county. Wow. And uh, we, making the story that is long but a little shorter, decided to put in an offer sight unseen, having never never been to it. Really? It was advertised as 75 acres with a teardown old homestead, and we we figured it was so cheap that at the worst case, we would buy it. And sell it. Yeah, put it back on the market. Yep. Uh, if if it wasn't anything we wanted to actually keep. Very
1: entrepreneurial, Jerry.
0: Yeah, I think at the, I think at the time we were, we, were, we were thinking, you know, summer residence at, at right. most. Like a cottage, you know, a farm cottage. But when we came up to get the keys in late 2008, I think we immediately suspected we had a, had a lot more. The, place, the house was uh, a bit of a relic in, in a poor state of repair but the guts were good and it was clearly not a, not a teardown. So as I continued in 09 and 2010 to to complete the project, put it into full operations, we uh, each summer uh, spent time here renovating the house and kind of getting it to the point of something we wanted to, to live in. And when I decided unequivocally that I did not want to continue building jobs like this for, for Bywater around the world um, in 2010, we made the jump. I, I resigned at the end of 2010, and we, we moved to uh, the middle of, middle of rural Cape Breton and uh, made this, this house our, our home. Then the question arose, what are we going to do now that we're here? <laughs> 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 I, had, I had made, we'd had a neighbor when we were in Miami that ran a big, uh, headhunting business on right. in the financial districts of uh, New York, London, and Asia. And uh, I, for about two years, did some recruiting for him. And it was sort of just at the tail end of the financial heyday, the meltdown had had slowed the recruiting business, but not stopped it altogether like it pretty much has now. And so that that proved pretty lucrative and A good couple of years it gave us a bit of a financial bit of capital to think about an actual business and I think as we were here we decided hey we we really want to stay in Nova Scotia we really love this farm and we don't really want to start something that pulls us away from the farm so what can we do on the farm right in parallel to this I was I'd always been a beer nerd I was brewing homebrew and I planted a few hop hop plants we were constantly disgusted with the quality of uh, craft beer that we could get through the Nova Scotia Liquor Corporation, and it just caused us to see a see a gap in the market, a real opportunity for us to do something. And our closeness to Melanie's home, former home base in Vancouver had allowed us to visit there, see the craft industry really progress. It's still, you know, vastly more forward. And way ahead of, of Nova Scotia. But uh, it led us to sort of narrow the type of brewery we might want to start for ourselves. And in 2012, we broke ground on a, a little 2,000 square foot, two story building that we were going to put a, a small um, seven barrel brewery on the main floor of and a little event restaurant on the second floor of. You know, history is what it is. The restaurant never happened because we realized we were too busy and needed to make as much beer as we could downstairs and that necessitated office space for admin related stuff and all that right. sort of thing. But uh, yeah, the, the rest is kind of the first five years of, of big spruce. We went from two, seven barrel fermenters in year one to three later that year uh, to six, the next year, seven more conditioning tanks. We were probably for years three, four and th- three and four of our business producing more beer per square foot than any other brewery on the planet certainly any other brewery in in canada you know i only suspect that i don't know it for sure because there's no stats on that sort of thing but right and then we we sort of in year four we we sort of stepped back and looked at our business and said you know we're we're everything we want to be with brand, we're everything we really want to be with quality, we're, every, we're everything we want to be with sort of the principled stewardship of our business, but we're having a hard time even going on a family vacation once every two years. You know, we're not-, we're that's, not that's not good. To pull, we're not, you know, lifestyle is one thing, we're not able to pull, pull kind of money out of the business, not to be millionaires, but to just be, just be comfortable. Right. So we, we sought and got uh, finance to build the adjacent building and, and kind of step, step up into a more production brewery type business with uh, for the first time listings at the Nova Scotia Liquor Corporation. Uh, because up until that point, we'd just been keg, keg beer for tap accounts and growler fills and pints at our own, uh, our own uh, tap room. Right. And this, this meant broader distribution. So last year we canned about uh, almost half a million cans, 450,000 cans, I guess, of uh, four principal brands and about three or four other uh, summer seasonal uh, releases. And uh, yeah, as of then, we're we're operating two breweries. We still operate the Small 7 Brewery as kind of a a niche, one-off, funky beer brewery where we do... Lots of barrel aging, lots of uh, wild co-fermentations, tons of experimental stuff. We got, uh, we got some Britonomyces yeast in a beer right now in a tank that uh, uh, through a friend of mine I got uh, from a guy in BC that, that found it in his backyard. Um, he's a bit of a yeast freak, and I'm, I'm doing something on that. I mean, we're really pushing the limits on exper- experiential-slash-experimental here through our seven barrel facility, uh, and maintaining some some pretty good uh, uh, brand presence through broader distribution uh, via production at our our larger forty barrel facility. That's where we are today.
1: That's awesome! What incredible progress! Like if we sort of sort of look back, like what do you think enabled you to have the success that you did at Bywater, not only in the sales and marketing space, but also in you know leading this enorm- enormous build in Nicaragua.
0: I don't know. I've, I have always ask myself that and I don't know what, what the answer is. I don't know what it is that like, I mean, even when I go back further to the offer to run a sales and business office for a construction engineering firm, I knew nothing about international contracting. Nothing. Right. I think, you know, somehow I stand in there with a, an element of confidence in myself to do even that which I wasn't tooled up for skills and experience wise. And I think that's what everything I've done always has been. It's like, you know, I I ran sales and business development successfully. I I won jobs. Fair enough. Um, I then was, through a situation, asked to actually carry out and build one of the jobs I had won, which, frankly, would never happen almost anywhere else on the planet. You know, the third world, and, and Nicaragua specifically, is a place where you know, you can get by because you're good at relationships um, without all the technical know-how you may need. I mean, honestly, to build a, a job of that size would, would normally be handled by an individual that had been working the technical side with an engineering degree of job size for 30 years. You know, and I, yeah. I mean, and that's part of why I left. I finished it. I was not quite 40. I looked around me and kind of the 10 other guys in Bywater that were doing what I was doing. were all 65 to 70 years old. They'd been through three marriages. They were a hundred pounds overweight. And you know, I I was just like, that's, I've risen to the the top of this game and I don't like what I see around me. I got to get out. Right. So, yeah. And then again with the brewery, like we still ask ourselves, you know, yes, yes. I was a, I was an active home brewer and I, brewed some kick-ass, shit-hot beer. But we see people get into the business uh, with brewing backgrounds that are incapable of, you know, hitting the mark with brand quality in a way that really stirs the emotion of the beer-consuming public like we have. Um, So we, we, we really are just blown away by how, despite lack of experience and skills, we managed to uh, achieve what we've achieved. And I think most of it is kind of, you know, uh, a controlled motivation to be the best at something. Right. And that's, that's just somehow in us. And uh, we, we uh, carry that forward in, in everything that we do. I mean, right, right down to the glass at the top account, like a big effort we have now is to revamp all the glasses our beer is consumed from across the province. And we want that in a big spruce branded, higher quality glass that's been designed to accentuate the aromatics and uh, drinkability of beer. You know, a standard shaker straight side glass that's become kind of what the entire industry likes to use because they're unbreakable practically. Right. Uh, isn't good for beer. It's like drinking wine from a tumbler. You wouldn't do it.
1: You wouldn't do it.
0: Yeah. These, these are the little things we do to be better and be different than everybody else.
1: No, that's, well, that's neat. I, and I know our young leaders are really fascinated by you know, what it takes to go and build a business that's had the success that you, you've had, that's had the growth, that's had the ongoing awards that you've won. Like, what sort of you know, values do you think
0: your, your organization's about like, that ha- have created that, Jared? For me, it's like there was always a guilt factor over not doing something to the best it could be done. Right? You know, I couldn't yeah. couldn't sort of step away. I look back to stepping away from a house where, if I didn't think that third floor dormer window was absolutely as good as the ones down next to the front door, yeah. um, there'd be a guilt factor, and I'd bring a ladder over on a Saturday and go up and fix it. You know? Like it's <laughs> just, it just just had to be perfect. Yeah. I don't know whether that's OCD. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but like. <laughs> These values of, you know, getting what you pay for and making sure people, people feel that way, the, the pride you take in getting a referral from someone because you did give them that quality of service, it goes forward with you. And, you know, we, uh, someone uh, Facebooks or, or texts or emails or whatever, Big Spruce, about, um, a worry or concern they have about our, about our beer and luckily that happens very infrequently you sort of, you stop even worrying about the four pallets of beer that need to go out to the NSLC and you deal with this one little person because right. their emotional attachment to your brand is at risk in that moment and you have, you have every ability to um, fix the problem in a very short order and in yeah. fact endear them even more deeply to your brand if you do so, yeah. so it's it's kind of that value system is, is everywhere, and we both struggle and also proudly strive to instill that into our staff. And uh, yeah, that's just what we're always, always going to stand for. You know, I think I've been saying lately in, in the beer business, and it's really changed massively. You know, we were licensed number 12 in Nova Scotia in 2013 when we opened. Um, now there's 63 breweries. Wow. Okay short years so that's a that's an, a monstrous rate of, of expansion and we've seen places open you know I, I feel everybody that starts a brewery has this question and they confront it at the very beginning and they really only get one chance to, to decide how to answer this question it's quite simply are you gonna be all about beer or all about business uh. and if you choose beer and I, that's what we chose it's, you don't do so at the cost of business. You don't ignore business, right? Of course, of course. But you make, um, your decisions based on what is best for my beer, right? You don't make a sort of lowest common denominator, uh, decision on what's the cheapest ingredient for my beer, because that may not be the best ingredient for for your beer. It's just the best, best decision for your income statement, you know? So we've seen a lot of places open up and they're certainly here for a good time, whether they're here for a long time, I, I really don't know. You know, It's, it's uh, it's an unfortunate side to the craft industry. You always have kind of half the breweries focused on, on their brand and on their beer uh, in a really like, it's all about beer sort of way. And then you, you got others that are out there giving away free kegerators, free T-shirts, free hats, free everything, just trying to move, you know, volumetric quantity of average product across as many tap accounts as they possibly can in Nova Scotia. Um, unfortunately, it's my ardent belief that those breweries are making it a mess for breweries like mine. Right. But it's what we struggle with now, perhaps most as an industry.
1: Yeah. No. It, well. Well, Jared, It's. it's I know. I had the, the good fortune of, of you working in my home neighborhood. So oh, I saw the right. the hard work that you put in and the commitments. And, and definitely I saw that just about, you know, the level of quality you were going to deliver consistently year in year out was amazing. And I'm not, I'm not surprised at all that that here you are a craft brewer just really kicking butt and taking names. There's another craft brewer actually out Moody Ales out in uh, Vancouver. He's, uh, he's also one of our franchisees, Adam Crandall. So, uh, got at least a couple.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm not surprised. It's, you know, uh, the, the return to good beer is, is, is a movement that's uh, well entrenched in every province now across Canada. Um, and, and, you know, entrepreneurs from the Student Works Program, I'm sure, are, are drawn to it. I bet there's few owners, but I bet there's lots of, of brewers and participants in the industry as well that somehow come from the program.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, so if you think back, Jerry. What have been your biggest you know failures or mistakes or challenges?
0: Well, it's brewery specific, you know, and this is this goes into the sort of good problems to have had side of things, but we were we were so unready for the kind of, of volumetric quantity of beer that would be demanded from our brewery. Right. And that 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 really led to a very long difficult process of Trying to keep up that I think I Mean one could argue that that I never would have made the decision To be bigger from the outset and and there's probably every um, Argument for the fact that that is indeed the case we were we wanted to be small We wanted to be three employees and only open one day a week and all this sort of thing but I think if I'd done a little more homework on just Uh, what was happening in the industry with growth and how many liters of Nova Scotian craft beer were in the industry already, I think I would have realized that what I was trying to be uh, was just an impossibility. And I think think that also, if I had really looked a little more into what being that small was going to mean to our personal pocketbooks, I would have realized that really to survive, I was going to have to be a little bit bigger, so we struggled with with the catching up, as all businesses uh, do. in our first year, we got lucky, and we're open April first, so we got we got high season as our first four or five months. And I th- I think we thought the going was just going to stay great, um, and then the doldrums of January and February, you know, nearly uh, nearly closed our business. You know, we right. we got really close to the the, the, the wire there. Needed a few suppliers to kind of like agree to push uh, payables out to ninety days and stuff like that while we got back into the spring of two thousand and fourteen. Right, and that, that was an important learning process for us too. And um, I would have loved to have perhaps, and this is just who I am. You know, when I see a good opportunity, I I often go for it without really researching it as, as much as others might. But if back, that was a mistake that that could have. Could have been handled differently. Let's put it that way. Certainly, I've got so many errors and
1: mistakes, and lessons, and and again, they. I think one of the things we teach in our program is that, and then they become, you know, lessons, right? You know, and again, you know, don't blame ourselves, and hey, this is now what I know, and this is now how I'm going to manage it. And by the way, as well, it doesn't surprise me that your vendors uh, work with you because our vendors, in the past, when we needed to, we don't need any more, but when we needed to. Used to support us through the off season to get us through through the season every year uh, as a seasonal business, and uh, you know they understand that hey, you're a good quality supplier. You're
0: you're going to go sell a bunch, and this this is a good bet. So, yeah, it's good, it's good, but it's also nice to be through the other side and not have those. <laughs> <on>. <laughs> oh yeah, those <laughs> sleepless nights.
1: Those oh yeah, I got yeah. kids to feed right there. Exactly. <laughs> So if someone was considering venturing, venturing out into the entrepreneurial world,
0: what advice would you give them? I think uh, I go back to my point about motivation. I've learned so heavily in the last, really in the last 12 months, this has been the, the steepest learning curve because we've really sort of had to reinvest in our people and look hard at what it is that makes someone great at what they do for our brewery. And it's funny, there's a guy from Ontario, Roger Mittag, in the, uh, in the beer world. He's, he's worked all over uh, Moosehead, Labatt, uh, right. small, and he's, he runs the, the Prudhomme Beer Sommelier course that my wife Melanie's done now. She's one of the newly minted beer sommeliers out east here. And he said it too. He's like, yeah, um, like the problem with most businesses is when they go through a hiring process, They look for experience and skills. Yes. And the problem is, you can't teach motivation. And in fact, you would be better off hiring the most motivated person and then getting them the skills and experience they need than you would be hiring the most experienced and skilled person in in your number of CVs. And we blew that a lot. And I think this, this transcends not just hiring and employees, but it transcends into um entrepreneurship and i think if you're motivated about what it is and passionate about what it is you want to do those skills and experiences and everything else you need to make that business work they'll find their way to you they really they really truly will or you will find your way to them but if you don't have motivation if sort of you're going through your mba and your uh Business planning and that sort of thing, because I don't know your family thinks you should or something like that. Just don't <laughs> don't bother. You got you got to be passionate and motivated to be doing what you're doing, or or nothing else is ever going to make sense. Yeah, well, I can't I can agree more. Just you know, and certainly our business is built on
1: exactly that, right? Looking for young people like you and your friends back in the program, Brian Kane and Nick Eves and those people who just were motivated for a big future. And then I remember again. Tickets, Chris. That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you get leaf tickets, exactly. <laughs> so just for people who don't know, uh, Jeremy got started with Nick Eves, who's the C- chief, chief operating officer of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. So, uh, so they're good friends back in the day and, and uh, grew up in the neighborhood as well in North Toronto. But uh,
0: must reconnect with very shortly.
1: Yes. <laughs> but just again, that hire for attitude. Hire for, for commitment, hire for focus and interest is so important. So if someone wanted to do what you do and
0: what key habits would they steal from you? What would they go to? I kind of sit down on a daily basis and it's, you know, I'm, I'm kind of old school, old school. I've had a hard time transitioning to the electronic version of this, this stuff, but I, right. I'm, I'm still a written daily plan. That isn't some, sometimes it, it delays until the morning of. My given day, but I'm often disciplined enough to sort of nine or 10 o'clock at night after the kids have gone to bed, make that list for the next day. It's so crucial to kind of go into your night's rest and wake up the morning fresh uh, with the knowledge of what it is you need to achieve, achieve that next day in terms of the small steps uh, to sort of achieving, quote unquote, the, the overall bigger picture. I did that. I remember. I remember these pages, you, you gave us day timers, yeah. remember? Like, there's a student free ring binder with photocopiable like um, date sheets. And I, I can remember, I even saved some of them, I don't have them anymore, but for, for years, cause they were just these like, they were almost like journal entries of an artwork. They were just <laughs> damn packed. I mean like literally so full of the to do's over the course of the day. Cause I knew that if I didn't have that there, and then at the end of the day, move everything that I hadn't done over to the next day and make sure I crossed everything off. I was going to forget something. For sure. The quantity of items was just too much for a brain to, to handle. That for me, that discipline of a daily sort of uh, thought and writing down the, the small steps, that's huge. Yeah, I can't, can't, agree, can't agree more. And again, something I learned early on in, in
1: this business as well. So uh, final question, Jeremy, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind?
0: Well, it's not Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I think the leaders of tomorrow are a little bit, bit more drawn to, uh, to mild anarchy. I think the, this sort of, the world really needs a little bit of a wake up. Um, as to how a lot of the things we do are are kind of carried out traditionally, you know, my industry is a, is a real indication of that. We we fight against decades, if not uh, hundreds of years, of bureaucracy to try and find more and better places for selling our beer. And and I I sort of I coined a term here when I I wrote a Dear Nova Scotia letter that went viral a few years ago in all the news media out here. Where I said, you know, why, oh why is Nova Scotia bureaucracy taking five years to make decisions that should only take five minutes? You know, and right. it's, it truly really is, you know, decisions to change one, one sentence in a Nova Scotia Liquor Corporation regulation about how breweries can sell beer off site. Is something they go to two years worth of uh, public inquiry and consulting on and then government changes and they go back six months and start again and all this sort of thing and you just go like how can the speed of modern business continue with this kind of support from bureaucracy and it, and I think that's reflective of so many other uh, elements of of oversight and I'm I'm actually not a big you know, uh, blue uh, flag-carrying right winger, <laughs> but, but when, it, when it comes to needing a new approach to so many things, I think it, it kind of requires initially a, an awful teardown of, of the sort of old guard and the uh, traditional way of thinking. So, so new leaders for me are, are kind of those that have, have taken time to, to think about that and bring fresh new approach. Um, and even if they, they lose, be willing to fight against the traditional way of thinking and how things have always been done, whether that be in business, uh, in society, or in uh, Canadian government slash bureaucracy.
1: Fantastic. Well, well, Jeremy, I really appreciate you spending uh, you know an hour with us today. Uh, you know, uh, with all the things that you're doing with your family and your incredibly fast-growing brewery out in Nova Scotia. Look forward to connect with you in Nova Scotia when I'm out, you know, soon doing a sales training. And uh, again, it's awesome reconnecting. That's cool. Always good, Chris. i always willing to do this sort of thing for you. Okay. Thanks so much, Jared. Talk to you soon. Hey, leaders. We've got a ton more interviews like this one coming up in the next few weeks. So if you're listening and you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe to Leaders. Of tomorrow. If you enjoy our content, please give us a share on your Facebook feed or better yet, tell your three most driven and entrepreneurial friends about this podcast so they can join us in discovering what set these powerful business leaders apart from the crowd at such a young age.